Mac Power Users, Episode 88, The Mobile Me to iCloud Transition. back to another episode of the Mac Power Users Podcast. I'm Katie Floyd, alongside with David Sparks. Hey, David. Hey, Katie. Uh, I apologize in advance to the listeners for any uh, weird sounds you may hear. I am literally recording in the middle of the tropical storm. We've got a, I guess it's now subtropical depression barrel overhead. So uh, hopefully the, the broadband and the, and the Skype will hold out. I've got this picture of you like wearing rain slickers and holding your mic. I've got my galoshes Bringing on. the news. Yeah, it's actually been quite pleasant so far. It's just been a, a lot of rain and not a lot of wind, but I think we're, the wind's supposed to pick up a little bit later. So we'll we'll see what happens. But we wanted to get this show out, especially because we've got this date looming up ahead. You know, June 30th is the date where MobileMe is turned off and iCloud becomes the only sync option that's available from Apple. And we've been ignoring this whole transition for a while because MobileMe and iCloud and it's all been a little bit up in the air because iCloud seems to have not quite been finished and documents in the cloud is out there and maybe some of this stuff is going to get completed in Mountain Lion and we don't know when Mountain Lion's coming out. This is a show that's been on our radar for almost a year now. Yeah, we've had the iCloud show in the calendar and every month it gets pushed back another month because I wanted to wait until it was fully baked before I started talking about the best ways to use it. I mean, as an example, Pages, while Pages syncs really well on iCloud between your iPhone and your iPad, it's still not supported on the Mac, which is kind of crazy, right? I don't understand what's wrong with that. I mean, I think Steve Jobs demonstrated it with Pages when they did the original iCloud rollout over a year ago. If you go back... They were very careful in that they only showed it on the the iPhone and and the iPad, but it it was very obvious that something was missing. It was definitely uh, insinuated that the Mac was coming, but it was it, almost like it was taken out at the last minute. It was very bizarre. Well, and and some of the third party developers, in fact, uh, my beloved Byword and PDF Pen, both do it now. They support it between the Mac and the iOS devices, so it's starting to happen. But you know, Apple isn't really fully out there yet. And so that's why we've waited to do an iCloud show. But now we've run up against this deadline where MobileMe is going to get turned off. So we decided let's go ahead and cover what that means. And we may do another show on iCloud or may follow up on it in the future once we have a little bit more on iCloud. The show isn't going to be as much about the best ways to take advantage of iCloud as much as it is the best ways to deal with the shutdown of MobileMe. Right. And uh, I personally believe that Everyone who has an iOS device or a Mac should have an iCloud account for some reason. You already know about the basics of iCloud. It gives you mail, contacts, calendars, things like that. Even if you're not going to use it for those basic services, there are a lot of really great services that come with iCloud, including, you know, find my iPhone, find my iPad, find my Mac now is a new service in there. And just back up to the cloud services, I'm using those with my iOS devices all the time, and I've successfully restored iOS devices from the cloud. That just seems to work amazingly well. Yeah, we just, Daisy got a new phone, and she got the new uh, iPhone 4S, and we just Everybody's hit a button. getting the iPhone 4S. Go ahead. Well, we just hit a button, and it just, you know, restored from her iCloud backup from her old phone, and we were good to go. It was really nice, and 
there's a lot of reasons to have iCloud. I think Find My My Device is an amazing service. Right. And uh, so you should get an iCloud, and we will do a show eventually about iCloud. Right. But let's talk about what is happening to MobileMe. Right. So MobileMe is going away completely, and and we'll put a link in the show notes, but Apple has a pretty comprehensive uh, FAQ section on their website about the MobileMe transi- uh, transition, but it's it's being turned off June 30th, and that's the end of this month. So this a lot of the Mac Power user listeners who watch who listen to this show may already have made the jump to iCloud. In fact, I would imagine that most of our listeners were probably there day one with me, you know, hitting refresh, waiting until iCloud was available so that they could move all of their stuff over. The problem with iCloud is that it requires some, some would call hefty system requirements to run, and not everybody's going to be able to move. And if you can't move by June 30th, you're going to be left in the dust, and a lot of your services are going to suddenly stop working. And people who aren't ready for this are going to find that on July 1, what's going on with their email? Why aren't their contacts syncing? Why can't they find things in their address book? And where did all their files on their iDisk go? They're just going to be gone. So let's talk about how to avoid that. Yeah. So. Okay. So let's, let's talk about what's gone first. Okay. Uh, what's missing? So iCloud and MobileMe are very similar, but there are a few things that were available in MobileMe that aren't available in iCloud. Um, and this is, of course, as of the time that we're recording this, which is pre-WWDC announcements, so we'll, we'll see if anything changed. But iWeb Publishing, Gallery, iDisk, and some of the other sync services that you use to sync services across your multiple Macs, such as dashboard widgets, keychains, system preferences, mail accounts and rules, and things like that. Those are all going away June 30th. If you've moved to an iCloud account, everything else should, for the most part, keep working. But even if you made the move to iCloud, at a bare minimum, those services are going away. Yeah. Which is quite a bit, really. And I started thinking, am I really going to miss any of these services? iDisk has always been so kludgy. I've been using Dropbox for years. Gallery is really the only one that I'm going to miss. And I, and I think that's the one that is rumored that Apple might have a reprieve for. We'll see. Yeah. It, or they, you know, they've kind of baked something into the current shipping version of iPhoto on iOS devices. Right. Um, and the, uh, the iWeb publishing, I, I don't know anybody that uses that. <laughs> well, I think there are some people out there who use that, but iWeb hasn't been updated in several rounds of updating iLife. And yeah. I would be, even though the iWeb application still works, I would be afraid to use it because I think its days are numbered as well. Yeah. Yeah. So where do you want to start with this? How about, um, should we talk a little bit about the move to the iCloud? Yeah, so let's say that you want to go ahead and say, I just need to turn off MobileMe and, and make the move to iCloud. What is it that I need to do? That seems like a good place to start. Yeah, well, they make it pretty easy, don't they? Well, they make it easy if you meet the requirements. So okay. the requirements are it works on any iOS 5 device. So any you're going to have to have an iPhone, an iPad, an iPod Touch that runs iOS 5. Now, that sounds like, sure, that should work, but... I think that's that. Is that the i? Does that leave the iPhone 3G in the dust? Yeah, it does. I think it does. Um, so the original iPad's going to still be supported, but I, I'm pretty sure that leaves the the iPhone 3G in the dust. Um, iPod Touch, I think that goes back a couple of generations, but not every generation. Now, here's the kicker for a lot of people: is your Mac has to be running Lion. 
Lion version uh, 10.7.2, but you know, once you get up to Lion, you should be fine getting your software updated. That has been the sticker for more people than, than I can count because a lot of people are still holding on to Snow Leopard machines because they still have those one or two apps that for whatever reason they need to run Rosetta for because they're, they're PowerPC compatible. You know, I don't really have that much sympathy for those people. It just seems to me that this has been coming for years and years. I mean, at some point you have to get off Rosetta. Please email David at... No. <laughs> I just, I really feel that way. I I mean, when you use these Apple products, they do have an aggressive upgrade cycle. And now, how long has it been since... I, I counted. I think it's been, and, and believe me, David, you're, you're making the exact same pitch that I made to my Mac users group a couple of, of weeks ago, because as you can imagine, a lot of the people with my Mac user group are using older machines. They, you know, they buy a machine and they don't update them until they buy a new machine. And it's, I think it's been seven years now or more since Apple shipped their last PowerPC machine. Yeah. And longer than that since we've known that this transition was coming. So what I told them is if your developer doesn't care enough to update their app, then you've got a problem there because your developer's not supporting your app. And if you don't care enough to update your app, then that's because even though your developer supports it, well, that might be another problem. Now, there are always a couple of edge cases. Well, I know Quicken was like one of the big holdouts, but even they've come up with a, a solution. Right. Uh, I, I don't know. I It seems to me that, and maybe that's just kind of part of my nature, is I always like to look for the newest and latest great thing to a fault, probably. But, you know, it's been if it's been seven years, and I, I think you're right. Well, you think know, about just, if you've got to support a business or if you've got to support a legacy application or you're trying to make your Mac work with your business application and this is how you get to use your Mac in your business as, as long as you can support this app and somebody wrote something that works for PowerPC but it doesn't work for Intel, it's a problem. I know well, I a lot guess of it, people who are still using Apple works. Yeah, I guess it is a problem if you want to take advantage of services like iCloud. And yeah. if if it's that big of a deal to you, then then don't upgrade. Mm-hmm. You know, Does uh, that make sense? I just don't think you should. you have the right to complain. You can have one or the other. I mean, you can have look for the latest and greatest services, and as we move into these cloud-based services, it's going to be increasingly important that you have the most recent versions of the software or not. And if you want to use a 10-year-old program, then use a 10-year-old operating system. Well, and, and I certainly agree with you to some extent, and I think Apple agrees with you. I think that's the that's the approach that they've taken. You know, with the Mac App Store, it's never been easier to find programs out there. So if you've got... Uh, a, a niche service that you need, take a look, see what's out there, see what will do it. It's never been easier. Yeah. Um, well, okay, so assuming you've got a group of compatible devices. Right. We should say that if you want to use these services on a Windows PC, it has to be Windows 7 or Vista Service Pack 2 or later, so no XP either. Yeah. Which some people were complaining about because they said, well, Windows 7 is older than Lion. Why is Apple supporting an older operating system than their own? But I, I think they're just trying to get everybody off of the old. I think there's, Apple's trying to move their people along. Yeah. Uh, and it's, what is it, $30? I mean, Windows, a Windows upgrade is you're looking at a minimum of 200 Right. But once you've decided, now here's the catcher, is it's all or nothing. 
if you want to use the iCloud services and you want them to work on all of your devices, they all have to be compatible. If you've got one legacy machine that you have to have so you can run this one program, that's fine. You can keep a legacy machine running um, Snow Leopard or, or some other machine so you can run your PowerPC code. I don't know, maybe you've got an old machine that's running OS 9 or something. But don't expect it to sync your, your address books or your calendars or your contacts or I guess that's the same as address book, uh, along with these iCloud services because it's not. Yeah, and it's kind of uh, interesting when you go to push the button to upgrade. It's really just one button. <laughs> you, just push the, you just push the button and, and things happen. Right. There's not a lot of granularity in that upgrade. Right. But what you do want to do, and, and this saved my bacon, is before you make that push that button, you want to make sure that you've got backups of, of all of your stuff. And I don't just mean like a super-duper backup or a time machine backup. You want to have a separate backup. Backup of your iCal file, backup of your address book file, a backup of your bookmarks. Uh, and you can do this within the application, like an address book, for example. You go to File, Export. Uh, and in my case, I strongly recommend, and I'll tell you my war story a little bit later, to address, you know, select all of your addresses and back them up in vCard format. And just, it's a good policy to do that every once in a while and just stick that somewhere and save it for a while and then make the move. Because I, I'll tell you my, my worst story in a little bit that having that vCard file really saved the day. And then you know you've got your data secure and you can make the transition. And I would recommend that you also make sure all of your devices in, is, are in sync that your data is good, you know that you, you don't want to t- transition bad data. So go ahead and take this opportunity to make sure that all of the bugs are worked out of the system and what you're moving is good. Okay. And once you've done that, then you push the button. Then you push the button and it will say, you know, are you sure? Make sure that all your stuff works. Now, did you move everybody over to iCloud? Have you, are you, I'm, my guess is you've probably been there for a while. Yeah. Do you have any problems? No, not at all. I, I switched over to iCloud during the beta because I was I, I was writing some kind of book about it at the time. I've kind of lost track now. <laughs> but the uh, so I spent a bunch of time in iCloud back when I think this was at the Mac at the no the iPad at workbook, and so I spent a bunch of time in iCloud before it even really came out, and I was comfortable with it for my own stuff. Oh, I bet that was a mess using it with the beta. It wasn't that bad. The the um. The calendar program had troubles, but I mean they got it sorted out pretty quickly. And but when the whole thing went, you know, came out and rolled out last year, I waited just a couple of weeks just to make sure there wasn't any, you know, big mobile me type disasters, which there weren't. And then I switched over the rest of the family, and it, it wasn't a problem. And we use the calendar sharing. We use a lot of of pieces of it between us, so it's it's nice. Oh, and we should mention that is is. If you have the family plan or you had the family plan on MobileMe and dad's got an account, mom's got an account, kid one has an account and kid two has an account and kid three has an account, you move them separately. Everybody moves separately. And you do get, um, we got a large, I think what I ended up getting with transitioning from a family account, the main user, which was me, I think I got a 20 gigabyte account. And then everybody got a 25 gigabyte account if you were coming from MobileMe. Uh, we we did because we came from a family account. We all had a decent size. Although um, for my wife, we had to upgrade hers because she's got a couple devices and she just was running out of room. So uh, it, it, they made it pretty easy. Okay. Well, most of my stuff went smooth. All of 
my contacts and calendars, I just hit the move button. In fact, I did it whatever day it was publicly available. So when I did it, it, it took a f- I think it took 30 minutes or so because everybody was hitting it at the same time. But I've moved several people since then, and it takes two, three minutes, if that, once you've got all your ducks in a row. Uh, but here was the problem that I ran into. I was trying to uh, move my dad over to iCloud, and he was the he was the last struggler in my family because he had a, a 2007 iMac that we had to upgrade. We had just upgraded him to, I think, Snow Leopard, not too terribly long before Lion came out. And then we had to upgrade him to Lion, but he had some old apps that we had to upgrade first because they weren't Lion compatible. So it was, we knew that it was coming, but it was this, it was this multi-step process before we ultimately got him up to Lion. And then we got him up to Lion a couple of months ago, and I wanted him to sit there for a while and, and test it out and make sure that everything worked before I moved everything over to iCloud. So we did, and that seemed to work okay. But the next day he called me, he had like, you know, 2,500 contacts or something like that. And he said two things. He said, my computer is running ridiculously slow. And this was a machine that we had just recently upgraded with extra RAM and all of that other stuff. And he said, and I'm missing contacts. You know, somebody called me and their name didn't pop up on the caller ID. And I went over there and sure enough, when I logged into iCloud, I found out that of his 2,500 contacts, only like 800 of them had made it up there. And his machine was just running ridiculously slow. And when I popped into Activity Monitor, I saw that Address Book was was taking up all of these CPU cycles. It was just ridiculous. And what had happened is he somehow had some corrupt contacts in there. And iCloud was trying to sync them, but they just weren't going through. And it kept syncing and syncing and syncing and syncing, constantly just churning but it, it got stuck, and once it got stuck there, it was just like this endless loop. And you would turn the syncing off, you would turn it on, and it, it was just completely log-jammed, and you couldn't do anything with it. And, you know, under MobileMe, there was that system preference pane where you could, you know how it had the little arrows you could flip back and forth to say, okay, we'll nuke this and replace it with this? Yeah. There's nothing like that in iCloud. So how do you, how do you clear out your iCloud and fix everything? It was just, we were just stuck. Um, so finally what I had to do, the, the iCloud web interface is a little more sophisticated than the other stuff. I finally turned off the iCloud syncing, had to delete all of his contacts on his Mac, all of his contacts on iCloud, which then immediately made them disappear from his iPad and his iPhone, which freaked everybody out. And then using the iCloud web interface, I was able to re-import from the web interface that vCard file that I had made the day before that saved the day, really. And it re-imported all but like six contacts because it said there were problems with them. So those must have been the corrupted contacts. And once I turned back iCloud syncing, it like rained down from the cloud all of his contacts and repopulated his devices. There's a good story for why you need to make those backups before you do the transition. Yeah. So The... uh you know, it, it overall though the, the service works pretty good. If you do go to iCloud.com, it is a good place to go when you're dealing with it. I mean, that's where you can implement server-side mail rules and some of the other cool stuff you can do with iCloud. It's not available, you know, from any native app on your Mac. So, I think if you are making the transition, spend a little time with the website and get familiar with it because you will learn a few things. Well, and that's the main difference between iCloud and MobileMe is it's no longer syncing your devices between each other. 
It's syncing your devices with the cloud. And then the cloud becomes the master database that controls everything. Yeah. That's how it keeps conflicts out. Hey, let's talk about our first our first sponsor, 1Password. Okay. Let's yeah, talk 1 about 1Password. So 1Password is a great application. It's on both the Mac, the iOS devices, Android, PC, anything you can think of. And what it does is generates really strong, unique passwords for use throughout your uh, internet and computer life. Not only does it do that, it automatically fills them in for you. And then it shares them across your platforms. So you can get away from the old bad habits of having one or two passwords and reusing them all the time. Instead, you can have a unique password for every place you go and easily fill it in. And that's really just the beginning. I mean, that's where 1Password started. But they've been developing on this thing for years. And it just seems getting better and better. For instance... Um, it's got the go and fill function. I mean, I've been using it a lot on my iPad, so I've got some websites I go to where they're very complicated passwords. And rather than doing the, the dance of hitting copy and then paste in Safari, from right inside the 1Password app on the iPad, I can hit the little arrow, uh, and it will open a web browser right in the application, fill in my username and account password and get me access to the website right inside the application. Do you use that feature? I use that all the time, especially when I'm traveling. This most recent trip I took, although I took my MacBook Air, it was actually more of a liability than an asset because I don't think I ever took it out of my bag. I just lugged it between, you know, home and the airport and the airport and the hotel and worried about it every point in between. It was my iPad that I took everywhere. And on my iPad, I thought, well, gosh, I've got one password. I've got all of my logins right here. I just launched open the one password application, and that basically became my web browser. Yeah, it's really super for that kind of stuff. And if you need to jump into a secure website every day, I've got a couple that I need to access for various work and Max Sparky things. I can get in there right in the one password app. And that's just an example of one of the things you can do with this application. It's also got the ability to hold secure notes. So let's forget about passwords for websites, but instead maybe your wife's social security number or your kid's uh, school information or medical doctor information. You can put that into a secure note right on your iPad and your iPhone or on your Mac, and it's a separate level of security. People can't just get to it if they have access to your device. They have to get that one password password to get through to that information which makes me feel a lot better keeping sensitive information on my iOS devices. One password's great. I just love it when people say, oh, what's your password? And I say, I, I, I have no idea. I don't well, it's, it's funny because my wife used to make fun of me. She'd say, you know, what's the password for the insurance company? And I'd, I'd give it to her and she'd be like, this is crazy. A34QXZ. Yeah, for like something. 20 characters. And... And it used to make her nuts, and then I, I gave her the one password lesson one day. Now she's worse than I am. Now I get a password from her, and it's like 40 characters, and this this is completely nuts. But she loves it, you know. So it, it's really a great way to uh, to protect yourself and, and your family members with a secure password system. You can get it for the Mac at the Mac App Store for forty nine ninety nine. That's, and that's good the way, for the whole family. Yeah, exactly. So in my family, that's what I did. I bought it in the Mac App Store. And that way we can download it on each computer in the house for all the kids and, and my wife. And if, if you're a slider like me, if you need to use 1Password at work, if you go to their website, they've got a Mac and Windows button, uh, bundle for sixty nine ninety nine. So you can use 1Password and save all of your secure passwords at work as well. 
Yeah. And if you're on iOS devices, you can either get it for the iPad or the iPhone for nine ninety nine, or you can get it for both with uh, with the Pro version, which is fourteen ninety nine. Yeah. And you can save twenty percent off anything that you purchase direct through the Agile Bit store using the link on our website. So thanks to One Password for their continued sponsorship of the show, and go check them out. You know, you know, going back to this whole thing about whether or not you need to go to Lion in order to get used to all this stuff, I still feel kind of strongly about that. Uh, but I know there are ways around it if you want to stay on Snow Leopard and still get some of the iCloud stuff. Yeah. Um, so we should probably talk about that. And I think Apple has even recognized that this is a problem. Because as of May 1st, you can now choose to keep your email working after MobileMe ends, even on devices that don't meet the iCloud system requirements. And if you go to me.com slash move and follow the directions there, there is now the option to just keep your email working after MobileMe ends. You still have to go through the transition, but it will allow them to work. And after this process is completed, mail will at least continue to work on devices that don't meet the iCloud requirements. And I think that was Apple's way of conceding and understanding, okay, we have a lot of MobileMe email members that maybe aren't going to be able to make this move because they don't meet these requirements. And I guess the ultimate uh, response is if you don't want to upgrade systems or you don't want to deal with iCloud is just to go with somebody else, right? Yeah, that's that's the other option is you can move your email to another service. Or you can always move and continue to use web services. You just won't be able to access a lot of the services on your on your machines. Yeah, so and, and there's Google, Yahoo. There there's several services that will synchronize contacts and email services and even calendars. Yeah. And and we'll, let's let's talk about some of them. You know, for example, email is easy. I mean, they're they're I, I dare to say hundreds of different people out there that will do email. We've talked extensively about Google on this show. You can also do your own email with, with domains. You know, we talked about Hover before, how you've got all of your domains through Hover, and you've got your email service through Hover, and you do that yourself. Uh, there are other ISPs that will do that, but but there are dozens, if not hundreds, of various email service providers out there that you can get your email through. Can we stop on that point for just a minute? Sure. Uh, I, I love my my Mac.com email address. You know, it's a vanity address in it a is. sense because, you know, it's not me. I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm an old timer. I got a Mac address. Uh, but the um, to tell you the truth, I really love the fact that I have my own email address through the Mac Sparky domain. And the more I think about it, this is really what people should be doing is, you know, if you're into computers and this stuff is important to you, why do you want to tie your email address to even Apple? You know, why don't you have your own domain? They aren't that expensive and set up an email account through it. And that way, no matter where you go in life, that will, you'll have that email address for the rest of your life. Oh, I tell people all the time, you should never tie your email address to your ISP because that forever locks you to your ISP. You know, what if there's a new game in town? What if there's a better deal with another provider? What if you move? You know, then it just it becomes such a huge hassle to change your email address, and then you're always worrying: are you are you missing people? Yeah. And and I guess you're right to the same extent if you're using your Mac.com email address or or even even Yahoo or Google or one of those other providers, you are kind of tied to them and and you don't control them. How do you know? Yeah. yeah. So it, it's worth considering. And you know, our our sponsor Hover is a great place to go. That's who I do it with, and uh, I'd look into that. But if you're if you're thinking about a fresh start on email, give that some real thought because it's not that difficult to find a domain that's pretty close to your name, and you know just going with an email address based on your own domain is is really great because that 
you control that forever. As for uh, contacts and calendars, that gets a little trickier. Um, contacts, obviously, you can you can sync your contacts with a service like Google or Yahoo. If you continue to use the address book in in Mac OS, there's always the wired sync option if you want to sync with your your address book. Uh, David, do you are you familiar with you know for example Hover's email service whether you can sync an address book with them? I I think it has a calendar. I don't know if it has an address book. I'd have to look it up. Okay. Yeah. I can tell you though, we get a remarkable amount of email uh, complaining about Google contacts because uh, you know, we've done that that show mm-hmm. about dumping Google, and a lot of people make a lot of really good points about how great Google Mail is, and I can't disagree with that. I mean, it does some amazing stuff, uh, but it seems like there isn't as much love for Google contacts as there is for Google email, and that's just based on the emails I receive. I don't really use Google contacts. Well, I, I picked Google and Yahoo contacts primarily because. By default, the OS will sync with them if yeah. you use address book. And that's a nice feature. Yeah. If you can get address book to sync. And then you can obviously sync address book with your iOS device. Even if you can't do it wirelessly, you can at least do it wired. And if you, maybe if you can get your contacts to Google or Yahoo, you can, you can do the wireless sync from there. Yeah. So that those are options. Uh, as for calendar, uh, I threw a link in the show notes to... Um, uh, Mac OS 10 hints article, or maybe it's a Mac World article. Anyway, there's there's a link in the show notes to it that talks about a workaround to keep iCal working in Snow Leopard. But our friends at BusyCal have also, you know, I love BusyCal, have also mentioned that their service works just fine if you on Snow Leopard and you move over to iCloud. So you can continue to use BusyCal on your Snow Leopard machine even while all your other devices are uh, are online machines using iCloud. Yeah, and that doesn't surprise me in the least. Yeah, they're, they're always on top of things over there. So those it, are options. Yeah, it's very complicated, I think, trying to do it with the with the iCal system. It probably is worth just switching over to BusyCal if you want to stick back with the uh, Snow Leopard. And, and I guess there's one argument you can make is it doesn't look like the terrible lion... Uh, <laughs> it doesn't have the jagged edge on the top. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a terminal command you can use to remove that. I know, but it seems to me the more I, you know, I've, I've even bookmarked it and I'm like, okay, I'll go back and do that. Then the more I think about it, the fact that I would spend more time on this is, is just crazy. I don't know. And, and I know that the, the mountain lion screenshots show that the calendar actually looks better. Okay. So we're not that far away. And there are other calendaring services too. If you if you want to put keep your calendar in the cloud and you don't want to use iCloud, you know Google again is is the obvious solution for that. But you can probably roll your own with your own domain name. Yeah. So. That being said, we've spent some time now talking about ways to get around this stuff. I think the smartest thing to do, if you have the hardware to support it, is to pay the twenty nine whatever and up, upgrade to Lion and just use the iCloud stuff. It just makes so much sense. Well, I, I agree that that's the best option. That's certainly the option that Apple wants you to go with. Uh, and it sounds like if you can get most but not all of your devices even over to Lion, that's going to help you. And remember, we're we're about to come into Mountain Lion probably sometime middle to end of the summer. Maybe we'll have more information with WWDC. Apple's general policy has been that they typically only support 
the current OS and one OS back. Now they did make a little bit of an exception and that they released a, um, uh, an update for the, what was the security one? The flashback Trojan update recently Yeah. for older versions of the iOS. But that's usually the exception, not the rule. Normally they only release security updates for the current and one version back of the OS. Although now that they're going on the yearly, um, that, release that schedule, Who knows? Yeah, I could see them going back further. Um, so that that covers email contacts and calendars. Do you have any other suggestions for email contacts and calendars? Not really. I, I like I said just a minute ago. I I think iCloud is pretty nice. And if you are in the Apple world, you're using the Apple hardware for the Mac and for the mobile devices. Mm-hmm. The iCloud syncing works great. Um, it's really nice to be able to share calendars within your family. It, I just think about how much easier it is to do a lot of things that were pretty difficult even just a few years ago uh, now that iCloud is out. So I, I would try to get yourself in the iCloud if you can. And if not, all these other services are are good second ways to do it. Oh, you know, uh, one that we use at work that I didn't even think about is Exchange. Yeah. We, Funny uh, how we forget that. We always forget it, but yet that's the one that we use for work. In fact, we just moved from our own hosted Exchange solution to, um, you know, as in the Exchange server in our closet at the office to uh, Microsoft-hosted Exchange, so our, our Exchange is now in the cloud. Yeah, so even even Microsoft is you know getting aggressive about this stuff. Right. I, I'm, that obviously does not make sense for a uh, an individual home user, but yeah. Anyway. All right. What about uh what about bookmarks? Uh, you know, I, I'm the wrong person to talk. And we we've covered X marks in prior episodes. The uh, I just think that I use Safari because I use Safari as my default browser. The iCloud bookmark syncing works fine for me. Yeah. Well, for those of us who don't use Safari as their default browser, and and I agree that I'm I'm more and more tempted to go back to Safari as my default browser because it just solves problems like this and it makes it a whole lot easier. Uh, using using a service like Xmarks is the only one that I've come across that will allow you to sync uh, bookmarks across multiple browsers, across multiple platforms, uh, across multiple services. You know, really, any, any, any platform that's running Xmarks will have all of my bookmarks kept in sync. Now, a couple of users have reported issues, and I've noticed this myself, at least in Lion, and this may not be an issue with Snow Leopard, but some users are reporting that if you've got Xmarks syncing turned on on a machine that has Safari on it, it will interrupt the iCloud syncing. Now, if you're using Safari as your main browser, you probably don't have as much of a need to have Xmark syncing turned on, so you're you know, more likely to, to not have that. But if you're like me, for example, I've got Xmarks running on my Mac Mini to keep my instance of Google Chrome in sync with Safari on that machine, and as long as it's in sync with Safari on that machine, then those bookmarks stay in sync with all of my iOS devices. Did that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Um, and I I noticed all of a sudden that that used to work flawlessly, and now there's a little bit of hiccup in that, and it's not syncing. So so something within the last month or so has changed, and we had someone comment on that on our website, and sure enough, when I went into the, the Xmark, Xmark support website, that seems to be an issue. I'm a little nervous because Xmarks got bought out by LastPass, which was supposed to be the great savior because the site was on the, the verge of being shut down, and then it got bought out, and everybody was all happy again. 
yet it hasn't been updated for Safari in over a year or more. I mean, the version they've got on their site is still for Snow Leopard. I'm not real sure what's going on over there anymore. But once I temporarily stopped the Xmark syncing, it allowed the, the iCloud syncing to happen, and I was able to turn it on. So I think my solution to that is I, I set up a keyboard maestro uh, shortcut so that it will, you know, at a certain time in the middle of the night, you know, turn Xmark syncing off for a couple of hours when I'm not likely to be using it, and then go back in and turn it back on so that it will resume syncing. That sounds really complicated. You know, it, it was just, really complicated. I know, should we, just switch my browser, shouldn't I? We, we did a show on Browser Wars, and yeah. uh, I'll put it in the show notes. And one of the things I, I've I've just stuck with Safari, and I think it's because I spent you know so many years in between when I, I used to use Macs, and then I had to use PCs for so many years, and then coming back to Mac. One of the things I love about it is just you know Apple controls this experience, and everything just works as long as you kind of stick within their their walled garden. That's I'm true. I'm totally okay with that. I just want the stuff to work. I've got so much to do. Sitting here fiddling with bookmarks is just like the last thing I want to even think about. And it just happens. Using the iCloud bookmark sync, it just happens. If I if I have a link to something that I want to read later, I can open it on my iPad and it's just there. And I've never had any issue with it. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of other reasons why I like Safari. I like the automator support and some other things about it. But the... Uh, it, you know, stuff like that, I think it's not worth fighting sometimes. You don't think spending an hour on a keyboard maestro script was a good use of my time? Well, you know, maybe <laughs> it made you, you know, sometimes that's, re, you know, for people like you and me, that sometimes that's just kind of fun. I, I did a, I spent a, an hour yesterday in Apple script in response to an email, and I spent, I got the Apple script written, I still haven't responded to the email, you know, so, <laughs> but the, uh, you know, it, it is really, it is really sometimes more trouble than it's worth. Yeah, I know. I agree with you. I agree with you. And I, I think when Mountain Lion comes out, I'm going to make the switch back to Safari. Hey, let's talk about our second sponsor, Fujitsu. Oh, I love Fujitsu. I've been, um, yeah, it's been a holiday weekend here as we record this. And I must admit, I've been a little bit behind on some of my scanning and I usually scan at least once a week, but I've been bad and I haven't scanned the last couple of weeks. So I've got a little bit of a pile, but even a little bit of a pile with my ScanSnap S1500 that's sitting here on my desk is like nothing. So I sit on my desk while I'm usually editing the podcast and open up the ScanSnap. And before you know it, the paper's just gone. It's just, it, it sucks it in. The only thing that would make it be cooler is if it had a like shredder attachment attached to the bottom of it. That'd probably be bad though. Yeah. Where you could suck it in and then it would shred it on the way out. I don't know. I kind of like that idea. Wouldn't that be cool? We should talk to the Fujitsu folks about that. Yeah, well, I just used it. I just finished a big trial. I had the S thirteen hundred there at court with me, and one of the jurors was asking me afterwards about it. <laughs> you know, because <laughs> it's just you know it's a very tiny device. I mean, it's not it's not super tiny like those really small ones, but it has a feeder on it, and you can set it on the desk, and it can run off USB power and. During trial, a couple times we would talk about an exhibit, and I would just scan it and put it immediately up on the screen. And one of the jurors decided he needed one. I, I feel like I sell these things wherever I go. Did you um, send them to easy.com slash SSMPU to buy the scanner? You know, I didn't cross the streams. I didn't tell them about the whole Max Sparky world. I just oh. gave them the name of it. So oh I, I heard us. I'm sorry. But it, it is a great scanner. And so the S1300 is the one that you can stick in a briefcase or carry on. 
the um, the fifteen hundred M is the big the big one you'd keep at home for your Mac, which and, is the one I use. You know, let's talk about that a little bit because the most common question that we get sent to us by email about the Scan Snap scanners, people are already sold, they've decided they want to buy one, but they say, Okay, I'm torn. Do I get the fifteen hundred or I get the thirteen hundred? What are the big differences between the two? And it always comes down to me between if it's something that you need to be portable on occasion, the 1300 makes a great scanner for that. But if it's something that you don't need to travel along around with, you're always going to appreciate the extra horsepower of the 1500. I know it's a little more expensive scanner, but the extra features that the 1500 has built into it, you know, people say, oh, I'm never going to scan that much. But even if you use that 50-sheet paper tray only a couple of times a month, it comes in so handy. And it's got, is it is it a sonar ping that it does in the 1500? That it, this thing is almost flawless when it comes to detecting misfeeds and double paper feeds. I mean, don't get me wrong, the 1300 is a great machine. And if you're going to be doing any traveling or you need to take it on the road with you, that's the ideal scanner. But what what would you say if someone came to you and said, do I get the 15 or do I get the 13? I think it comes to space. If you've got the space on your desk for a dedicated scanner, I would get the 1500 without thinking because it's just fast and easy. And the fact is, once you have a really good scanner, I don't know about you, but I have a lot of cheap relatives, right? So they're not <laughs> going to buy scanners or they're not as much into this. So I end up scanning things for, for relatives. Do so they come over and they bring me a pile They bring of their boxes? Yeah. yeah my, <laughs> my sister-in-law, they just switched over to Kaiser and they wanted to get all their medical records scanned so they can bring them in. And I'm like, just bring them over. So I scan 200 pages in you know, just a few minutes for her. And uh, so it's great. Uh, so I like having the 1500 and it's faster and, you know, it's just nice having a dedicated machine. But, you know, who am I? Because I, I have both of them. So I guess I'm kind of spoiled. Um, and it just happens to be because I need scanning so much, I ended up getting both. But if I had to pick one, I would say the 1500 because I just like having the thing on my desk. However, if you don't have a lot of room on your desk and you want to and you want to only scan once in a while, Get the 1300 and just stick it in a drawer, and then when you need it, you can pull it out and plug it in. And that's pretty nice, too. Right. Well, you can check them all out for yourself over at ez.com slash SSMPU. That stands for ScanSnap MPU. You can view all of the models along with the little teeny, teeny, tiny 1100 that they have that is the ultra-portable model that will scan a single page at a time, and that one you can practically stick in your pocket. Uh, And you can see all the great things that Fujitsu has to offer for the Mac, and we want to thank them for their support of Mac Power users. And, and, you know, you should also, I just want to thank them for their support of the Mac platform. I mean, they have always really been out there for us Mac users. Even before this renaissance that the Mac is now enjoying, they were making great software and releasing scanners for our hardware. And I think that makes them a special company. Yeah. All right, let's let's keep talking about alternatives to iCloud even if you don't like the iCloud services, or maybe for some of the iCloud services that are going away, or the sorry, the mobile me services rather that are going away with this iCloud transition, and you need to find a place to put your photos, you need to find a place to host your website. What are some of the things that you can do to replace these services that are going away? Yeah, and I think gallery is the big one. That's the gorilla, right? Uh, it is, and I think this is also the one with a little bit of a question mark over it because kind of think that as much as Apple is putting an emphasis on photos this year, I kind of think they're going to do something with it, but they're really running out of time. Yeah. And Did well, you they, ever use the MobileMe gallery? 
Yes, I did. I, I did. I did too, and I used it. You know, I like that you could lock it down, and it was just an easy way to, sh- way to share stuff with your with your Apple devices and put stuff on your Apple TV. I like well, that that it was simple and kind of private and easy. Well, and that's the thing for me because you know I've not you know like we know like our friend Victor Cahiel, and I'm going to put his link in the show notes. He does amazing photography, and yes. like his Flickr feed is is like art. Going there to, to watch it. Mine isn't, you know. In fact, if anything, with the improvement of the quality of the iPhone camera, um, I am less likely to bring my SLR out and try and take an artsy picture. I'm getting to the point where I'm really turning to that point-and-shoot guy just because I use my phone and it's got all the, you know, GPS data and all the other stuff built in right away. Uh, however, so so that makes me really a poor candidate for something like Flickr. I mean, I've had Flickr accounts and... I have not supported them well, and I haven't put stuff up there. Um, so, But I do have a family, and I like to share pictures off when we have a family event. And the the galleries in MobileMe were very convenient for that. I mean, it's semi-private. I think if you wanted to really find it, you probably could. Um, but I can also put a password in there, and people, so it's harder for people to get into it. And and the family members, because they've all you know been infected with me and my Appleness. Uh, you know, they push a button, it downloads it to their iPhoto. It's just really great, a very convenient service, and and I will miss that. Yeah, I think I'm I'm a lot like you. I I don't have kids. I don't need to broadcast my photos out and share them with everybody. But when I have a photo of an event or a family gathering of some kind, I want an easy way that I can share those photos with just my immediate family or just my friends that were involved in the event. I don't want to throw them up on Flickr for everybody to see. But I wanted kind of a more private place to share photos. And I wanted some place that was that was easy. And a lot of people say that Facebook is the place to do that now. You know, I'm I'm using Facebook less and less. And a lot of my people are on Facebook. So and then the other I, I don't issue know with, what fills that hole. The other issue with Facebook is, you know, they have done this facial recognition te- technology and I don't know where that stands right now. I should have researched this before we started the show. I know at one point they started doing it without everybody's permission. Then everybody got upset and they said, we won't do that anymore. But I think it's fully within their, you know, their corporate mindset to at some point just say, okay, we're just going to do facial recognition for everybody. And for a lot of people, that's going to be cool because they're not going to stop and tag their photos and they, they can easily find photos of their friends. Um, for me, I don't know. It's really weird. I mean, what happened to me was... I don't even know if it's out there. I guess somebody listening can go find out. We were uh, Christmas morning, right? You know, Christmas morning, we wake up at 5 a.m., you know. And in my family, there's this, like, tradition where all the men wear night shirts on Christmas Eve. So I'm wearing the stupid night shirt and look like I just, you know, got punched in the face because it's 5 a.m. And my uh, one of my relatives is taking all these pictures of us. And I, I don't think about it because it's family, right? And then it's, like, on Facebook. And then some other friend writes me and says, oh, I saw this really goofy picture of you on Facebook. <laughs> and I'm thinking, oh, man. So now some other lawyer is going to be, you know, getting a picture of me at 5 a.m. on Christmas morning in my nightshirt. You know, it's just, like, it really creeped me out. And uh, that's one of the reasons why I'm not on Facebook. But, you know, so now they've got this facial recognition thing going in. And it's possible that all of those pictures are going to be immediately tagged to me. And uh, I'm just not really pleased with that. And it makes me not want to use that as a photo sharing service. Sure. So what are the options? Okay, we, know, we know that the gallery is going away. Whether or not Apple replaces it with, with some kind of similar services yet to be seen. I, yeah, I would say it, stay tuned. If they're going to do it, they probably need to do it 
And I would say at WWDC or certainly before June 30th. Yeah, and this show is going to go live on June 11th. Mm, is it? Probably. Yeah, no, I yeah. think June 4th. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm, that's right. So this show is going to go live a week from, I mean, WWDC is going to have a week, happen a week after the show goes live. So who knows? Something may happen. I'm encouraged by the, the kind of the, the photo sharing features in the iOS versions of iPhoto. I can't imagine that something like that's not going to migrate up to the Mac. I I hope so. I think Apple's going to do something about it. I mean, where I stand at this point for photo sharing, because I have a limited use, you know, my limited use cases, we have a family event and I want to share pictures, is I just zip up two or three pictures or 10 or 20, and I just put it on Dropbox and send a link up. Well, you know, that's something that I didn't put in our show notes. We should talk about it. Dropbox is pretty good for for sharing photos because you well, can make a pretty simple web gallery with Dropbox. And, and And I don't even use it that way. I just zip them up and say, you know, here's the Memorial Day pictures. And they push a button and download a zip file, and then they unzip it, and they've got 20 pictures. So how do you, are you just the designated photo collector? Do you sit there with your iPad and the camera connection kit, and before people leave, you you grab all their photos? Mm, Not really. I share mine more than I take other people's. Okay. But, you know, we did a photo show, and I told you how I'm brutal. For me... A family event, you know, keeping like five good pictures from a family event makes a lot more sense than keeping 200. Right. Okay. But, yeah, Smug Mug is another option, and I had a paid account with them for a year. You know, I've gone through this kind of process where I thought I was going to be more public about pictures I take and whatnot. I've never been able to pull it off because I'm just too damn busy. But uh, Smug Mug, I like better than Flickr. It just I like the way they presented the photos. I know there's a lot of professional photographers that prefer it, and it was like twenty bucks when I did it. I think I got a coupon. But it's a really it's a really nice internet based photo sharing service. Yeah, and Smug Mug has got a got an interesting plan because not only can you use it as a consumer, and they've got a very nice photo gallery, and it's just you know very clean. But they, it's also designed a little bit as a, well, not a little bit, but it's also designed to be a commerce site for anywhere from amateur to professional photographers who want to sell their prints. Yeah, and you listed this this other service in the show notes I hadn't seen before, Fanfare with a PH. Yeah, Fanfare, P-H-A-N-F-A-R-E, uh, is a site that was presented through my mug group, and I had never heard of it too and, until someone did a presentation on it. And it's one of the closest sites that I have seen to what the photo galleries used to be. And they've got a couple of different pricing schemes there, anywhere from 30 bucks a year to uh, 200 bucks a year, depending on, on what you need. Um, but the basic feature set is that you get your own website at, you know, whatever, kd.fanfare.com. There's no advertising. You can post unlimited photos and videos. Uh, you get pretty good image quality that you can put up there. They've got these really good-looking slideshows and tools that you can use. And you can also password protect your sites. So this is a way that you could post, hey, look, here's the, here are the, here are the pictures from Thanksgiving. And you could send a, a link out to your family members, and they would be able to access your photos with your password. Or you could keep some passwords um, or some sites not password protected, depending on how you wanted to do. And they've got all kinds of social integration. I think everybody does now. You could use the iFi card or you can post to Facebook and, and different things like that. Uh, they'll also integrate in terms of screensavers with your Mac. So they, they do a lot of cool stuff for only 30 bucks a year. But you can, you can kind of link to them from your own websites. And I really liked the way that they, they integrated with everything. 
So. Yeah. Another option is Instagram. I mean, because a lot of people don't deal with this stuff on their Macs anymore. And Instagram is really an iOS only. Really, it's an iPhone only solution. But I do know people that basically Instagram is their sh- photo sharing. And, you know, we, we talked around it, but we never really did talk about Flickr as an alternative for photo sharing. Yeah. Flickr's uh, great. And Flickr, I think, in some respects, maybe when, when Apple really didn't know what they were going to do with this, Flickr seems to, in many ways, have been um, ordained by Apple to be the replacement because you've seen that Apple has built Flickr into many of their services already. You know, direct Flickr export is already in iPhoto. I think it's an Aperture, is it? Yes, it is. Yeah. Uh, and Flickr is basically an online photo sharing community. It does have privacy controls if you want to take the time to manage that, where you can either share it with friends or family or the world. The problem is, is that in order to tweak those controls, people do have to be Flickr members. And you have to go to a pro account for an additional 25 bucks a year if you want to get your backlog of photos, if you want to be able to put unlimited photos out there, and if you want to be able to un, you know, access your unlimited files. You know, I think Merlin just tweeted that he got caught up in that, that, you know, he at one point was posting all of his photos on Flickr and ran into a problem where he'd stopped paying for them, but he had to go pay them again so he could get access to his photos. Yeah. That's kind of nutty. I think it's a good service if you're a photographer. I mean, people like Victor and our friend Barbu Schatz and, and people who are really good photographers post a lot of their stuff on Flickr, and there's some amazing uh, communities on Flickr for photographers where they can they can share their photos and arrange photo walks and all kinds of things. There's, there's a great community that's developed over on Flickr. So I think there's, there's definitely a place for it. I'm just not sure it fills my need. Yeah. yeah and and it, it, I think that comes down to the point that you and I are not big photographers. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, we're still working at some point on that photography workflow show. Yeah. In fact, we just, we've got a couple of really good guests we think we may be bringing in. So, so just I'm hang in there. really looking forward to see what what their solution is to this. But I guess the bottom line for purposes of this show is, as best as Apple has told us so far, Mobile Me Galleries is going away. And if you want to continue to post your photos online, you're going to need some kind of solution. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about web publishing. Okay. Because we had iWeb. I kind of made fun of it earlier in the show. But it, it was a great service in terms of click and drag. I mean, it, it made it really simple to create a website. Um, it was kind of like the prototypical Apple product where the creation process is really simple. Um, you just drag stuff in, you move it around. Things you could never do with a traditional like you know WordPress install or something like that. And you push a, bu- push a button and it's... Who was our, our workflow guest that surprised me that they used iWeb for their website? Was it David Wayne? It may have been. Yeah. But see, that doesn't surprise me because David's a really busy guy, and he doesn't frequently update his site. He doesn't need a whole lot of tools. He just need, wants to make a nice-looking website. And that's, wh- that's who it was made for. But it seemed to kind of languish, and Apple didn't really support it. You know, They didn't really come out with new versions. They never like bothered to to support it with iOS, which is where they put you know anything they think is important is going to get over to iOS. Well, they never even bothered there, and uh, and now it's dead with the the death of mobile me. They're they aren't going to support it anymore. So well, where do you the, go? The, I don't know. They haven't they haven't updated iWeb in a while, and they're certainly not going to support publishing of the iWeb sites to your mobile me web space anymore. Now, the application itself continues to work, so. 
if you've got a web space on on iWeb or sorry a, a website that's designed on iWeb, you, you can publish it to your own domain if you have that. The, my question is, how long is iWeb the application going to continue to be supported? Yeah, I think that's a mistake. Yeah. You know, you need to even if if you're on iWeb now, and there are tools out there to get you off of iWeb. Uh, the you know, and we have a link in the show notes that shows you how to put an iWeb website, for instance, on your Dropbox. But I think you need to start transitioning, and, and it depends what you're using it for. If you're just using it to share family photos, maybe you just need a Smug Mug or a Flickr account. Or if you if you're publishing a website or doing a blog, then you need to look at some other solutions. And you know, I think we're there's a show in this. I think we at some point we should do a show about uh, how to publish on website. We've got enough questions from listeners about it that we probably could could cover it. Uh, if you think that's crazy or you think it's a good idea, please let us know. Because there's, I just seem to be getting a lot of email about that lately, and I'm starting to think maybe it's worthy of a show. But the short version is, if you're doing a blog, there's a couple different services you can look at. Um, you can look at some of the, 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 the built-in Mac OS X services like Rapid Weaver or Sandbox, where there are applications that essentially are kind of like an iWeb Pro service. Is that a good way to say it? Yeah, and actually, I think mo- both of these services were out before iWeb, so I think those developers were upset to see iWeb come into the space, and then happy to see it go. Yeah, and and I've I've played with them. I've never run a website through them. I've created websites with them when I reviewed them or done other things, but um, they're not web based. It's a local based app, which gives you the same kinds of stuff you get with iWeb, where you have a lot of control over the design and a lot of ways to to make it very custom to you, but you're also tied into a proprietary system with that? Yeah, I can comment a little bit on that. I used Rapid Weaver for years to maintain our local mugs website, and there were definitely pros and cons to it. I loved it because it was so easy. It made it so easy to make a nice-looking website and easy to maintain it and easy to update it pretty quickly. I mean, I didn't have a lot of time. I didn't want to devote hours and hours and hours a month to maintaining this website, and, you know, there was Rapid Weaver. So I picked a theme. I, you know, made some image galleries with some images that were an iPhoto. I set up a blog page for our meetings, and, you know, I could grow it from there. And getting the site up and running was half an afternoon on a Sunday one day, and keeping it maintained from there was was pretty minimal work, and it had some built-in themes that were, you know, perfectly adequate for my needs, and you could go from there. The problem with that is... There's really no out. It, once you outgrow Rapid, Rapid Weaver, you're stuck because what are you going to do? Are you going to start from scratch in a different platform and a different service? There's really no export feature other than export to HTML, and I'm certainly not a web expert to be able to tell you what kind of HTML this generates. Ultimately, I just moved the the mug site, and and move is a is a bad word. I basically restarted the mug site. Uh, on WordPress because I wanted to have the ability to have multiple people be able to update this thing because I didn't want to be the only person that was responsible for updating it. And if a, you know, a post about a meeting needed to go out and I was busy, I wanted there to be other people who could do that. And with a service like Rapid Weaver, you were stuck. But if this is your website and you know what you want, I think it's an excellent service. It's an easy way for someone who doesn't know a lot about coding to generate a nice website quickly. You know, our, our workflow guest last uh, two weeks ago, Wendy, has a very nice website that was designed by Rapid Weaver. Don McAllister's whole he ran screencasts online on Rapid Weaver for years. Yeah, but that's an interesting case. When he decided to move off, he essentially rebuilt it. Correct. 
So that's that's my only caveat about about Rapid Weaver, and it has absolutely nothing to do with the service. I think it's a great or nothing to do with the product. It's a great product that does what it does very well. And and it's just I think with all products like this, once you outgrow them, where do you go from there? Yeah, it seems to me like the Sandvox and Rapid Weaver are great solutions for a personal website. Yeah, a personal website that has limited growth potential. Yeah, and and the thing is though that that demographic is getting smaller because a lot of people their personal website is their is their Facebook page. That's true. Well, what about like Max Sparky? I know Max Sparky. You used to run off of WordPress. Pe- yeah, a lot Max of people Sparky. could. A lot of people could say that Max Sparky could have started out as a personal website. It it, it did. And ballooned from there. You know, I mean, I uh, in two thousand six, I think I it started as an iWeb page, just because I said I wanted to see if I could do it, and right. you know, and it didn't stay there very long, and then it eventually went over to WordPress, and it was in WordPress for several years. And, and how I did just, you get it to WordPress? I just started over. Okay. That's and, what I thought. And then when, you know, I got tired of all the WordPress updates and, and all the, you know, I had a friend who had a WordPress site that was hacked for yeah. months. And he Colleen got hacked. Colleen and, Winwright got hacked. And, well, a friend of mine, he wasn't, he's not in the in tech space, but he had a website and he got hacked for months and he didn't even know it. Oh. You know, you know and, and it was doing malicious things to people who visited his website. So, so I, you know, I decided that is enough, and I went over to Squarespace. And I don't know if it's been two or three years now, but Squarespace accepted my my WordPress press export, and it it rebuilt it, and it's great. And and I love I love 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 Squarespace. In fact, I just got an email from someone saying I'm learning CSS and HTML, and would you recommend? And I said I recommend don't learning CSS and HTML and just opening a Squarespace website. You know, depending on what you're doing, because you just literally drag and drop and you click a few buttons and you're good. And we've got other five by five shows. I know back to work frequently has Squarespace as a host sponsor. Yeah. I'm sorry. as a sponsor and Merlin even writes music about them. So that's how much he loves them. So go over there and get their, their coupon code so you can save a few bucks. But I really like Squarespace and that's the way I recommend it. It's not that expensive now. I think it's, it's, I want to say it's $8 a month or 16, depending on which version you get. And it's got the hosting and the service, everything tied into one. And it's just so ridiculously easy. And Max Barkey is a pretty successful website. I mean, it's not crazy successful, but I mean, I get thousands of hits a day and it works just fine. I've never had trouble when I've got linked by, you know, Daring Fireball or some of the other big websites, it never went down. So I just think that is to me. It's it's just like my Safari solution, where I've got something that works. I don't have to spend a lot of time thinking about it. If I want to make changes, I'm capable of doing it without hiring somebody, and uh, I'm in. Right. Yeah, I think I think the way to to do this, and we talked about it so much, and this is going to actually lead us into our next sponsor, is whether it's email, whether it's website, even for galleries, you can even do your your own galleries on this type of stuff now. Anybody who's listening to this show is a geek. You really need to go ahead and get your own domain, get your own web space, whether that's Squarespace or somebody else, um, and just have your own space. Have your own space that you pay for and that you manage or that you pay somebody to manage for you, and that way you know that it's taken care of. And that probably is a good transition point to talk about our third sponsor for this show. Uh, They're back. We love them, uh, and hopefully they love us, and that is Hover.com. 
And the reason we love Hover is because they make the domain name simple. They do email too. They make email simple as well. And they're just a breath of fresh air when it comes to domain names and customer service. Because if if you decide that you want to move your stuff to Hover or you buy stuff with Hover and you have any questions, you have any concerns, you have any problems, you pick up the phone, you call them, and they answer the phone on the first ring. And you get a guy like, like I was Mike. When did you say your guy's name was Jeff? Glenn. Glenn, Glenn. was the guy. Glenn. And I, I talked to him a couple times because when I transitioned my domains from my old um, service to to Hover, I was freaked out because, you know, if Max Sparky goes down, I don't know what happens, right? So, and that's that's kind of a big deal. So I was talking to him two or three times on the phone. He was very patient with me. He didn't talk down to me, even though he probably should have because I was so <laughs> freaked out. Um, great service. They helped me do the whole transition. And, and I've bought several domains over the years and they all got moved over. And, you know, when you move them over, um, not only do, you know, you get the service to move it over, but they extend it a year and they automatically add the privacy controls. It's just a very, it's a breath of fresh air in terms of dealing with a domain service. Right. So people tell me I can't move my domain to Hover now. I just renewed it somewhere else. And if I, you know, I'll have lost that money. No, you won't. What Hover does, if you're moving a domain name to Hover, they will renew it from a year from the date that it expires. So you don't lose any time when you move it with Hover. You will automatically get free domain privacy and Whois. So you don't have weirdos showing up at your house saying, hi, I found you through the Whois service. And they're just going to take care of everything. If you want to do domain forwarding, you can do that. If you've got a bunch of domains and you want to forward them to your main domain, you can do that. If you're looking for a really cool domain name that you want to buy, go to Hover.com. It's pretty simple. They just got a big search box. They don't have a lot of other garbage on their website. Type in the idea that you're thinking about, and they'll come up with a list of suggestions. Yeah, it's really nice. I I really am so happy that they are sponsoring us because I I use their service all the time. I just bought a domain this week through Hover, yeah. and it's been for years. I've been dealing with these domain services, and the business model has always been make it really hard for the customer to say no to some additional service that they don't need. And you know, it's like running the gauntlet to buy this domain because you've got to click no, yes, and they move the boxes and they change the coloring and. It, 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 being an attorney, you feel like you're reading a very complicated contract just to buy a domain service. And uh, you always looked at it with dread. And Hover makes it really simple. The, the, the whole idea here is make it as easy as possible for the customer to get what they need and nothing more. And that, to me, is the way, the kind of people I want to do business with. Uh, and even better than that, you can save 10% off of your order by either clicking on the link on our website or using the coupon code MACPOWERUSERS, all one word together. So head on over to Hover.com, buy your domain, transfer your domain, add email service to your domain, whatever you want to do, they will take care of you over at Hover.com slash MACPOWERUSERS. Yeah, yeah. make sure you use the discount code because that lets them know that you heard about it from us and you get 10%, save you a few bucks. Yep, and thank you, Hover, for your continued support of the show. You know, I was thinking about the photography uh, and the the picture sharing. You know, it didn't. I should have said earlier when we did when I did some photo sharing publicly last year because we went. There was a, a Star Wars display at the local children's museum, and I took all these great pictures of the props from the movies. I just put them up a uh, Max Sparky, and Squarespace has a really good photo sharing service. So it was really easy, you know. So the once in a while that I want to publicly share photos, I can just do it through my website. Mm-hmm. Yet another oh. reason to have your own stuff. 
Yeah, I'll put that in the show notes. If you're a Star Wars nerd, it's actually some really great pictures, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, the last big service that is not making the mobile me transition is iDisk. Good riddance, iDisk. Well, it's it just, you know, it's, I don't know what the analogy It's It's like, it never worked to begin with. So <laughs> you don't really miss it, you know? It didn't work under, uh, gosh, what was it? It didn't work under iCloud. It didn't work under MobileMe. I, I guess it worked for certain purposes and certain uses, but it never worked well. And and iDisk is, is the piece that I've seen more people complaining about losing because I think iDisk was the piece that people really felt like they were paying their money for. You know, hey, for 100 bucks a year, I got... Yeah, what was it? Twenty gigs of of free on or not free? Uh, Twenty gigs of online storage. Yeah, but you couldn't do anything with it. You know, it, it just seemed like it never really got off the ground. I iDisk existed before Dropbox did, as far as I know. I think so. I think that's right. And I remember experimenting with it very early. I think in Tiger is when it started, if memory serves. And they would even put a you know a storage icon on your desktop and. And you'd put like a file in there, like a text file or a Word document or something, and it would upload quickly. And you would go to a different Mac and you'd go to that same storage and there it would be. I mean, that was probably for me the first real cloud storage that I I got serious about. And it worked with very small files and experiments for me, which was great. And then the trouble is I started trying to go big with it. And when I would put, instead of one or two Word documents, put, you know, a gigabyte of Word documents in it, and suddenly everything started to break. And it never really, they just never got past that. And Dropbox lapped them like three or four times. And so we all just moved on. And, and of course, that meant we had to spend extra money at Dropbox, but it was worth it because it worked. And now it's just kind of a joke because they never did get it. And it's just going to go away. And that's that. Yeah, this iCloud file sharing is really a big question mark to me. We talked about it a little bit last week with John Syracuse. I'm not sure that I'm going to be able to wrap my head around the idea of not having files and folders, and your data is just there. To me, the idea of files and folders, having been someone who's been around and familiar with computers for a long time, I want the files and folders. I want to see my files and folders. But non-geeks, like, and I think last week you said people who you have to tell to go to the little smiley face to open the Finder, people who don't even have a concept of what the Finder is, I think the iCloud file sharing is going to be a good thing. But that's probably not going to be completely baked enough, at least in the short term, to get to take care of all of these online file storage needs for us. So, Well, I just think they're two different things. I think the, so, too. Yeah. You know, document sharing through iCloud is is application based and it just happens. You don't there's nothing to do. You know, I the the iDisk service was a virtual cloud-based folder or it was or a virtual drive. Drive in, yeah. in essence, yeah. So it's two different things. And and I I continue to believe there's a place for both iCloud document sharing and Dropbox in my future. I don't see myself stopping using either one and I've talked even last week about how there's certain apps where the iCloud sharing absolutely makes more sense to me than having to do it through folders. Uh, that being said, in fact, in the future, I think that'll even get more so if it works and they, and they and they can execute on it. But you still need a service, and Dropbox really is the solution. You know, the free one, two two gigabytes. 
But we are so pro Dropbox on this site. We, you know, we did a show on Dropbox. All of our guests use Dropbox. We talk about Dropbox all the time. The, the reality is, is there's a lot more than just Dropbox out there. Yeah. I mean, I think an upgrade to Dropbox, if you're in business, is Box.com. Uh, and I wrote about it in both iPad at Work and Mac at Work. Drop, uh, box.com allows you Formerly to Box.net. Yeah, it used to be Box.net, but now I think it's Box.com, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Okay. It is. Okay. I was just making sure that people knew it was the same service. Yeah, so it gives you a lot more granular control. You can you can do versioning. You can give, say, so many people can have access to this folder with the client documents, and so many folder people can have to access to this folder with the billings, and so many people can have access to this folder with the salary records or whatever. So it just gives you a lot more control, and, and it really does try to create that virtual cloud-based server. And and because it's more complex, it is more complex, and that's that's a holdup, and it, it costs more than Dropbox. But uh, I know people that run entire businesses on it that could not do so with Dropbox. So that's a service to look at if you want to upgrade. I think. And then Google's in the game now. We got Google Drive, which is you know a fairly recent addition to the Google services, and uh, there's various degrees of certainty and uncertainty about what the rights of privacy are related to that stuff. Uh, I'm not going to really speculate on it right now. I think it's too early, but I know the service works well. I know two or three people that have transitioned a lot of their work over to the Google Drive. I think the holdup for me with that stuff, uh, putting aside any kind of privacy concerns, is that Dropbox has integrated itself so well with the iOS. I mean, there's so many iPad apps I have that just work with Dropbox. Well, I think it's the API support they have, and you see that. You see apps that will work with Dropbox or it will work with iDisk, although that's not long for this world. But they won't work with some of these other drives. Just and I don't know whether that's lack of API support or whether the developers are just you know putting their resources where they think the most users are. Yeah. Well, either way, it's it's definitely um, it's definitely a changing world. And then Microsoft's in the game with SkyDrive, and I've heard really good reports about its the SkyDrive's um, speed. You know, I've heard several people say that it's it's really great. Now, what about SugarSync? Did you ever use the SugarSync service? It was one that I think came on about the same time as Dropbox. I think Dropbox ended up getting a lot more popularity and maybe a lot more uh, publicity. But SugarSync does a lot of the same things that Dropbox does. It just doesn't seem to have taken off in terms of the API support. Yeah, well, I used SugarSync before I used Dropbox. I mean, I think SugarSync might have been on the scene. It might have been the original. Yeah, it might have been on the scene before. And it it was a little more granular. It allowed you to choose what folder synced. Uh, And what happened with SugarSync was I had it it trashed a couple of Scrivener files for me. And Scrivener files were a little complicated because they're packages. and, And that's not easy for these services to deal with. But, you know, all I needed was to lose data once or twice. And I was out. And right. and Dropbox was up, and you know I'm always checking out the new stuff, and Dropbox worked for me better, and and I moved on. I know a lot of people though, in, including Dave Hamilton of the Mac Geek App, who rave about SugarSync. So I don't know if that was just early growing pains or or what, but a lot of people seem to be very happy with SugarSync. So that's an alternative. I, I think as with everything, though, the question is, especially if you're using iOS devices, what is the API support? Yeah, and um, and then you could also do your own your own network-attached storage cloud solution. There are several ways to do that now where you can have a drive at your house that, that's plugged into the Internet. Yeah, Pogo Plug um, is probably the big one that does that now. Yeah. So, 
All right. I, I think we've probably covered this as best we can without knowing a lot of the details of, of what's coming. Uh, yeah. maybe, maybe we'll know some more next week after WWDC. And I still think we will do some coverage in this show about document sharing in iCloud and how that all works once it's more done, more baked, I guess is the word. So <laughs> yeah. just hang in there. Yeah, I, I think just the big thing to be aware of is June 30th is the date. Mobile Me is turning off, and uh, be aware. Make sure that your family is aware. Uh, if you've got friends or family members that you support that are using the Mobile Me services and are still on older machines or aren't aware of this deadline looming, be proactive. Get this done, because otherwise on July 1, your phone's going to be ringing. Yeah. All right, well, we've got some feedback, but the uh, the weather here is getting kind of nasty for me. So if you don't mind, we might just hold that over to the next show. Yeah, and uh, we'll definitely get it in next week, so hang in there. Yeah. Um, but in the meantime, you can find links to everything that we talked about over on our website at www.macpoweruders.com or at 5x5.tv slash MPU. You can also send us feedback to uh, feedback at macpoweruders.com. Right. Or we're on Twitter. The show is Mac Power Users. I'm Katie Floyd, and David is Max Sparky. And we love iTunes comments. Please keep them coming. That really helps us keep the show in front of the new audience members and, and get out to people who haven't discovered us yet. And thanks to our sponsors this episode, 1Password, Fujitsu, and Hover. We appreciate your support of the show, and we'll see you next week.